Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, one second please. Please, Mr. Kennedy, oh, oh, I don't want to go, 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 go. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for filmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. I don't even know what to say because I'm just still marveling about how much I love this Adam Driver song. <laughs> I know. The only problem for every human being listening to this right now is how are you going to get that song out of your head in a couple hours? Um, we also have Bill Graham. Woo! And with us today, a very special guest to help us talk about Asteroid City. It's Olivia Ann Cleary. Hi, I love that intro. Very special guest. <laughs> you are indeed a most special guest. Uh, would you like to tell the fine people at home a little bit about yourself so they can learn how special you are? Yes, I'm Olivia Ann Cleary. I'm from London, as you may have picked up on the accent. I'm a senior editor and writer. Um, I have a decade of experience in the culture sector, so I specialize in all things film and TV. And I'm very happy to be here today to talk all things Wes Anderson. All right. Excellent. And we are very happy to have you here and uh, to talk about the latest Wes Anderson film, which uh, is always a big event for us. Uh, before we get into that, all the usual stuff up front. You can find us on Twitter at Film State Show, Facebook, The Film State Show. I don't know if we're on threads yet. I don't know, I have to reach not. out to, to, reach out uh, to Jordan Raup about that. <laughs> Our benevolent Lord and Master. I mean, we like immediately got on there and they're like, hey, everybody, what are your thoughts on pizza? Um, this will actually be interesting. I don't think our Indiana Jones show has dropped yet. Uh, no, I don't think and so. And that's the one where we all discovered that threads had went live. And now this show, which will be coming out pretty immediately after that one, we apparently are all already uh, tired of threads. Good times. I haven't even really looked through it because what annoys me is that I'm seeing accounts that i never wanted to see and i don't seem to have the ability to edit that oh yeah no it's a it's a fucking nightmare i signed up and i was immediately like i don't think i follow these people and you don't it just automatically starts giving yep. you the rhythm the algorithm um who has time for this it's so annoying uh it's it is shocking to me that they launched it without a follower only feed it's just like I don't know. Like, do these people not listen to us screaming? Like, it's just chronological. Followers only. There's yeah, a reason chronological. I don't use Facebook anymore. Uh, yeah, I think, Instagram I think is also a fucking nightmare. Anyway. What, I love you? Yeah. No, I was just saying, I do not think these people listen to us. Because every time you think that there's a logical thing for Twitter or Instagram or anything, it goes the complete opposite way. Yeah. It's just like, hey, can you not force us to make videos? Nobody actually watches videos. Like... Yeah. We have TikTok for that if we want. Um for the moments when our mental health really takes a dive. But anyway, um what else? Podcast at thefilmstage.com is our email address. And uh don't forget to go to patreon.com slash the filmstage show to give us your money, uh access to Slack channel, and first crack at all of our raffles come standard with every Patreon membership. Um other than that, we are of course brought to you by Mubi, uh, a curated streaming service that is dedicated to elevating great cinema around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, 
There's always something new to discover. With movie, each and every film is hand-selected by their gregarious curators. So you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, any place. They've got really awesome stuff. I wanted to talk about The Exiles, 1961. A gem of American cinema that played Venice before falling into cult obscurity. My favorite kind of obscurity. Kent McKenzie's The Exiles' raw, jazzy vision of urban life. Inspired by Italian neorealism, yet filtered through the beat lexicon, the film captures the often unseen experience of Native Americans with vitality. So doesn't that sound awesome? Uh, there's also a movie out there called The Idiots. Um, it's Lars von Trier's. It's from 1998. A controversy stormed. The Dogma 95 movement took center stage and an angry critic got kicked out of the can screening. When the dust settled, Lars von Trier was left with this poignant boundary-pushing film which explores the very price of provocation presented here in a new restoration exclamation point. Um, there's a lot of other great stuff on Mubi. Y'all should go and check it out. And you can do so for free thanks to us for 30 days. Go to Mubi.com slash filmstage. That is M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi on us. So get on over there and get to watching. So that's it. Um, anything else to talk about before we dive into our feature review? No, let's go for it, man. All right. That's what I like to hear. So today... We are talking about Asteroid City. This is the newest film from writer-director Wes Anderson, uh, co-written with Roman Coppola. This movie stars way too many people to even attempt (laughs) to comedically try to name them all. Uh, I'm going to stick with Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, and Tom Hanks. And I'm sure we're going to bring up the 47 other people who are in this cast as we continue to talk about it. Here is the trailer. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. Junior stargazers in right, space. Yeah. Um, I've been agonizing over this for the last 24 hours. I don't think there is a convenient, sensible way to distill this movie into one or two sentences. Uh, it's a Wes I'll Anderson. Try. It's a Wes Anderson movie about a family that gets stuck in the titular asteroid city, which becomes the nexus for some odd doings. I don't know, Robin. You said you you could try. Why don't you do it? Um, isn't it? Hold on a second. Isn't it a <laughs> a play within a tv show is that a is that a spoiler (laughs) no because it's the first fucking second coming in though i was like oh this is the thing that the marketing has specifically attempted to keep because it's too stupid to explain no it's too brilliant to explain oh i'm gonna freaking kill you this episode (laughs) no i agree it's it's brilliant it's absolutely too brilliant to explain i'm on that side yeah me and olivia ann bound together by blood here to destroy robin (laughs) bar um i will kill all of your bad framing devices 
No, this is a great frame of Oh, this is going to be such a good episode, ladies and gentlemen. You are mm. welcome in advance. Mm. Um, so yeah, what were you? So Robin, you what was your what was your attempted? Okay. So, uh, oh, great! Sorry, did my did you cough so hard you broke your microphone? <laughs> it did loosen the cord. <laughs> because this cord sucks as I complain every episode. Okay. Get so a new cord. In the 1950s, a group of children are selected to go to nerd camp in the desert that has something to do with nuclear testing. You're doing really poorly with this. And then a thingy happens and uh-huh. they get stuck in the desert together. So what you're saying is this is like a sequel to Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, it's basically Manhattan, the TV show I never watched. Oh, yeah. Was that good? Well, you didn't watch it. Did anyone hear? Was that a good show? I, I mean, obviously it went nowhere. Yes. Well, you know, good shows have gone nowhere. Anyway, doesn't matter. Unimportant. Asteroid City is a Wes Anderson movie. If you're a fan of Wes Anderson, I'm sure you are excited about it. Have already seen it. It opened his the best that he's ever opened a film. Which is really? Great. That's what I heard, right? Hmm. No one can back me up on this? All right. Well, our own budsman will get on that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, so he, we're here to talk about it. Uh, we will, of course, start with our basically spoiler free i honestly have no concept of what the spoiler cutoff for this movie would be so we're gonna do our best but just be aware um and we will begin with our guest uh who already is uh, my favorite olivia ann cleary what are your thoughts <laughs> uh nutshell thoughts on asteroid city i really really enjoyed it i think Whenever an Anderson film comes out, there's always a debate and discussion about whether the intricacies of it are inaccessible or whether it's too hard to follow um, or whether it loses the audience. Because of that, it had the opposite effect on me. I just felt even more drawn in. That's not to say I understood every single part of it. (laughs) I challenge you to find someone who did, apart from Jeff Goldblum, but we'll get to that later. but yeah, I don't think, I, I wrote this recently in a feature, I don't think you need to understand every single part of the multifaceted production to appreciate the essence of the story. That's what I got from it. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I'm trying to stay away from any major spoilers. Although, as you say, what is a spoiler in this world? Um, yeah, no, I have no, no concept. <laughs> yeah, they, the whole play within a televised show, within a film, yes, at first it was a little disorientating. I think the first couple of times that we're pulled out of those soft hued colors and we're pushed back into the black and white screen it can be a little bit wait a minute what's going on here but i think once you get your mind around that and just focus on the story at hand i found it really enjoyable all right let's hold off on robin for a second let's see what bill graham thinks <laughs> of asteroid city will robin have a champion or will she stand alone um hmm. what to say about this uh, I've been kind of frustrated by the last few Anderson films. I think I think this one is a little bit of a return to form. It's definitely the best out of the last, I would say, maybe three, because Isle of Dogs and then uh, The French Dispatch and then this one, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say this is definitely like upward trajectory. Um, Isle of Dogs was so-so for me, and French Dispatch was just kind of... Oh, 
it had moments that were excellent. And then a lot of in-between sections where I was just like, I don't know. Um, that one got a little bit too many, too many things that he was juggling. This one almost does the same thing. I think it's framing device is at the time I was just, I just wanted to get it over with and just get right to the movie um, or the, the focus. Right. Um, and once I got out of it, I kind of found it fascinating to think about, but in the moment it was kind of frustrating. Thankfully this movie is relatively short for uh, what he's been making from my understanding, if I remember correctly. Um, if you hear my dog groaning in the background, it's because she wants to get on the chair. But every time I reach down to get her, she acts like she wants me to chase her. So I'm sorry if you hear like grumbling in the background consistently. Um, anyways, I hear you, Letty. Uh, anyways, we all so, hear you, Letty, and we stand with Letty. <laughs> um, I think this one is very clever. I enjoyed so many different aspects of it. Um, the standout for me is Steve Carell and his wonderful vending machines. Um, but overall, I think this one is a return to form. I think it works a lot better than the last few movies. And I'm excited to see what he kind of uh, does from this point on. Uh, it seems like this one, some people have been comparing this to Tenet where Christopher Nolan was like, Oh, you complain that my movies are complex. You complain that like, I don't care about like emotions. You complain about, you know, I hold your hand too much. Well, guess what? I'm not going to do any of that shit. And I'm just going to lean into all of the shit that you kind of hate. Right. Let and... me show you what the movie you think you're watching actually looks like. Exactly. Oh, and so no, this everyone's is everyone's explaining things too much. No one's going to explain anything. <laughs> exactly. Um, you, you think you can't hear anything? Oh, <laughs> just wait. Um, yeah. So I think this one definitely shows that um, Wes Anderson has been paying attention and knows that people are kind of, you know, lambasting him a little bit here and there. Um, I think it's unfortunate that like someone that actually has style um someone that has you know a shtick if you want to call it that whatever you know you want to throw derogatory derogatory terms at like i think it's nice that he actually has something that makes him uniquely wes anderson and that it is fairly easy to kind of spot his films um and it's easy to spot the people that are faking it right that are trying to you know glom onto that so um Again, I think the cast and crew is just ridiculous in this. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, Robin Barr. You know, I don't know where you're getting this idea that I hated the movie because I definitely didn't. What I hated was the framing device, which didn't even really do much for the movie. You, you were easily able to ignore it if it didn't work for you. Um, but I didn't hate is, it. Is that, isn't that a good thing, though? Yeah. I mean, I hated the framing device. Like a very important part of the movie. That's like, oh, uh, is it that Citizen important? Because it doesn't uh, add do we to need these newspaper men. Can't we just watch this guy's life? Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, it literally adds zero to the movie whatsoever. It doesn't add to my. The only thing it 
maybe contributes to is the visual style, which is, which I don't know, like it is the best part of the movie, the, the production design, but you still could have made the movie look the way it did without the framing device. So yeah, I didn't love the movie, but it was, you know, it was pleasant enough. Um, I will agree with Bill that, well, I'll say this. Wes Anderson is a very mixed bag for me. There are movies of his that I have really liked or even loved. Rushmore, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, the um, Royal Tenenbaums. Don't you like, point a curse at me. What's a curse? <laughs> In Fantastic Mr. Fox, they say curse. Oh, I don't remember that at all. I mean, I saw it a million years ago. But I really loved those movies when I saw them. And then, you know, my experience of like Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, oh my God, what's that? The the Moon movie? What? Why can't I remember what it was called? Moonrise Kingdom. Um, oh my God, thank you. Moonrise Kingdom and French Dispatch like just did not work for me whatsoever. And, you know, I think we had this conversation uh, at least in our Patreon, where we were talking about why it's a little futile to complain about certain directors' styles, because one of the reasons that people cling to certain directors is because they like their style. So it's like, are you really just going to roll your eyes at another, you know, Wes Anderson movie that looks like a dollhouse? Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to to complain about that when you could just as easily not watch the movie. So, is it? Are his quirks always for me? No, I I kind of get a little bit sick of the very flat performances that you get from all of his movies. Um, the uniformity, you know, is not really quite for me. But what I liked about this movie was that the visual style really worked. I loved the Disney-like verisimilitude of of the sets um we're not we're not often in candy colored deserts and so that was just really joyful for me and i love the costuming particularly scarlett johansson who you know i i wouldn't ever call her like my you know the most beautiful actress to me but I guess the way they costumed her to look a little bit like Elizabeth Taylor, I've just never seen her look so beautiful. And so I, I really value the the thoughtfulness that went into the composition, the production design, um, you know, the soft hues, as you described Olivia Ann, uh, those things really worked for me. And there were some cute moments that, and when I say cute, I mean like actually adorable, like, squee-worthy moments right, like that happen adorable. in the movie. Like when the little uh, girls are talking almost any time. Yeah. Talk. Oh, I love those little girls. Um, Those little three little witches, like absolutely. And you know, they're real life triplets too. Um, That was, those are probably my favorite performances in the movie. Um, I think kids performances when they're done really well can actually outshine adults Um, because, you know, it's just like the nature of the work, I suppose. So yeah, there were things that were in this movie that were just like part squelchingly adorable. And and I liked those things. And I, I would love to talk about them in more detail, but I think it may count as a spoiler. Um, and I also say? think, you know, sometimes everything falls a little flat with me when he tries to do emotions because something about the affect of the actors is just so deadpan that it doesn't work. 
And I think sort of basing this movie in grief was a shift for Wes Anderson, at least from his recent works. So it's just, you know, it was a more pleasant viewing experience than I've had in a long time with him. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I loved this movie. This movie ruled. Um, I think it's one of his funniest that I can remember. I um. So yeah, if we're if we're just gonna if we're just gonna talk about the fact that there's a framing device. First of all, the framing device is brilliant. I love the framing device. I think the framing device at least doubled my enjoyment of this movie. Um, Brian Cranston is is freaking awesome. Uh, just as the host of this television program that is. I don't even know. I don't even know how these two things interact. I need to watch this movie like four other times to truly, I think, get what the hell's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a TV program that's talking about the creation of this play and is is in its way recreating it. Well, at the same time, the movie I think is not the play, perhaps, but like maybe what the play would have been in the head of whoever wrote it. I don't know. Yeah, but I Brian think that's Cranston's basically it. Yeah, and he's great in it. And like when he when he says like you know the play begin like the 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 story of this play begins with the author like writing it down, and then he says, but there's like no good way to show someone writing, so we're gonna skip past the. And then he just like <laughs> names twenty things, one of which is solitary drinking, and I just I immediately laughed like a fiend. Um, and there's so many other great jokes like that. Some of them whiz by. Uh, like when, uh, someone is said to be in heaven and then he says, which I don't believe in, but you do, you're Episcopalian (laughs) for whatever reason. I think just in terms of, uh, like syllables and sounds, Episcopalian might be the funniest of all, uh, Christian denominations. (laughs) Just Um, from the audio, like the, the oral joy of saying Episcopalian. It's Episcopalian. There's just so many fun little like things that are happening in there. I think they even did it in 30 Rock where like Jack Donaghy says like 17 absurd things and then ends with like Episcopalian. And Tracy Jordan says like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Episcopalian. Anyway. So yeah, things like that are awesome. Uh, The facility with language and the script is great. The way the actors all handle it is wonderful. Um, it's, it's just so good. I, I, you know, there was that TikTok trend that was, that started off cute where people would be like, you know, oh, you know, what are you doing today? And it's like, oh, I'm going to like the flower gardens. It's like, oh, you're not going to do Wes Anderson, are you? And then it would like cut to them doing the Wes Anderson thing. But then like a bunch of idiots were like, this just shows how easy his thing is. And it's like, no, no, you just put the little like tinkling piano music over you looking symmetrical, but that's not the trick the trick is to use that to tell a story one of the movies that makes me cry the hardest is the end of the life aquatic which is insane because that movie is like so much artifice like none of the animals are real except for the three-legged dog um bill murray is is like very unlikable (laughs) everything that happens in that movie is the most fake and then at the end is bill murray ever likable hey whoa Uh... Uh, I don't know. This is bound to like uh Saint Vincent. I don't know. I never saw that one. I just to know he like <laughs> was with a child, and so at some point he must be likable. I don't know. He's like an irascible kind of guy. But this one he really seems to have like nothing going on. Um and then the end of the movie is everyone is crowded in this little sub. It's absurd. They see a giant puppet shark that's not even real, 
And he says, like, do you think he remembers me? And I just break down like a child whose toys have been taken away and whose mother was shot in front of it. Like, I just, there's just something about how you are able to fully digest everything that's happening because it has this candy coating of artifice and color that you don't realize that he's slipped the knife between your ribs and you're already dead. You're just waiting for him to pull it out. So you bleed immediately. Like it's, it's crazy. And this is another movie that, that kind of does that in so many different ways. And, um, I loved it. I was sitting there just laughing my ass off the whole time, you know, feeling feelings, which are awesome. And then, um, there's also like a cute, uh, very personable, energetic roadrunner. <laughs> so yeah, meet meet <laughs> exactly. A runner that literally says meet meet. It's so cool. Um, so yeah, I loved this movie. Everyone's great in it. I like the, if if we were if if I had my way, this would be like an eight hour long podcast as we talk about every single person. But I know that that's not possible. So I apologize in advance to every actor who is on the poster who I don't get to say everything that was awesome about them. But that is one of my chief complaints about Anderson is that these endless ensembles dilute the enjoyment of the particular performances for me. Like I just, it, it, and I think this is not really an Anderson issue as much as is an issue that I have with any large ensemble with recognized actors is that everything feels more like a cameo than a performance. And whenever I see a movie or film that relies on these quote unquote cameos, it, it takes me out of the movie because I just think, Oh, they got this famous actor to do this, you know, two, two, two minute you, performance. Why do you say relies on it? If you know that, like you admit that this is a personal thing, not necessarily the film's fault, but then it, you it, well, it's a Wes Anderson like relies on it. Well, because that's a, because that's Anderson's MO. I mean, this is part of one of his artistic, um, that he is using these actors to like as a linchpin for something. I think he just enjoys working with actors and actors really enjoy working with him. And so it's very easy for them to either waive their, you know, upfront costs and stuff like that and negotiate a, a better deal so they can actually end up in his films. Like, I don't think, I don't think he's searching for, Oh, let me get Jeff Goldblum for like a. Oh, I absolutely think he is doing that. I absolutely think that he wants to cram okay, every. Well, so I think Jeff Goldblum's a bad example because they are clearly like friends. Like it just feels like Jeff was like, "I mean, you're putting me in this movie, right?" And Anderson was like, well, "Of course, of course, Jeff. Oh my god, how could I not?" But like, you sure. know, like Hong Hong Chow is in this movie. She's not been in any of his previous films, right? And that I could see Robin. Yeah, but she that. has a recognizable actor at this point she's had an incredible year for oh my god i know she's been knocking out of the park but i i don't i don't see him as saying like oh we need like a face here let's get hong chow for this one like that's not i to me that's like she says to herself i like wes anderson i like his writing i will take whatever part there is in this like i don't know i I, 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 I imagine stunt casting and more like he just is in demand and people will do it. And like, why would you say no to an amazing actor wanting to read your words? 
Because- yeah, I think I think I think that's a big part of it, right? Is like if if you were offered the opportunity to have Hong Chao and have this entire cast in your film, and you were like, ah, man, I only have like so many roles. Let me write a little small thing for you because I love working with you. I'd love to work with you, right? The the a lot of these people, I imagine, are gateway kind of Andersons. Is like, oh, okay, maybe I work with you. Maybe I really enjoy working with you for you know the five minutes of screen time that I have you, and now you know, maybe I write a new movie and maybe you're a bigger part of it. And it it just increases and increases and increases. Right. Um, I I think if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the first time Tom Hanks is in one of Anderson's films. And certainly he seems to be basically in in, as a stand in for Bill Murray in a lot of ways. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think this is one of those things where it's like, I, I, you know, whatever it is that he didn't cast Bill Murray for this, um, he used Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks, I bet you is probably going to feature a little bit more in future Wes Anderson films. Right. Um, yeah, you were about. To yeah. Say you not? No, I just I do find it quite organic and not at all forced to be, you know, excessive, if you will, cast members. I it just shows the caliber and the demand of Anderson if we're considering Tom Hanks as a stand-in, which, you know, <laughs> he kind of is here. But if Tom Hanks is your stand-in, then you've got a pretty impressive cast list. Um, I know, like, I've seen some comments online that people felt the Margot Robbie performance and inclusion was, you know, a bit random, that bit where she's on the balcony. Um, but I really enjoyed that part as well. I thought that added... I did too. Oh, my God, yeah, that was just, so great. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was so her at substance. first. I know it was brilliant. And just that moment of, you know, one play actor talking to another play actor on their balconies before they rush back into the audience. It was, I think it really did add a lot of depth to it. And anyone who maybe was struggling with the, you know, what's the play, what's the TV show, where are we? I think that would have brought it a lot together for people. Absolutely. I mean, that, that scene is kind of the scene where I like felt the gut punch or the knife. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm mixing up my analogies a lot, but, um, yeah, because it's it's so many things at once. It's it's there's a confused father who's being played by a now confused actor who goes out onto a balcony and speaks to a person who might have played the dead wife of the the this as I say it, I realize how absurd and like up its own ass this sounds, but in execution, it's so good when they have their conversation. And they have, and she runs the lines that he does not remember. And it's like gifting the actor, the memory that was denied through performance to the husband. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. And the fact that I didn't know that was Margot Robbie and, you know, you see her in profile and far away and you're just like, oh, who's this like great actress who's giving this incredible monologue and then it cuts to her face. I'm like, is that goddamn Margot Robbie? Oh my god, it's it's great. Like it it is sure. It's like oh, it's Margot Robbie. But like I don't think that the 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 performance or the character depends on you knowing that that's Margot Robbie. So it feels again very organic to me. It, it all makes sense. I agree. It could be Margot or anyone. That's such a rich scene, and 
it just brings it all together. For me, it brought it all together and I really right. enjoyed it. I could and have watched a, it over and over. And she's a fantastic actress. So like, that's why it works. Like if it was someone yeah. who sucked, like not to be mean about it and they like, we're not pulling it off. And then it's like, oh, but it's, I don't want to be mean. I'm not going to like, you know, actress X who's like super big in Gen Z or millennials or whatever. Like, oh, well that's, you know, but it's not, it's a fantastic scene made done by a fantastic actress and this will yeah. this will i will you know i was gonna say something denigrating to barbie but why why bother yeah <laughs> why bother at some point and you haven't even seen the fucking movie yet so it's to foo i know but i had to see the trailer before this movie and it was it was so oh man bomber <laughs> i know God, you're still just ass. well i will kill your dreams for this movie because i don't even remember that Margot Robbie scene very well. Like I really had to rack my brain for it because it made zero impression whatsoever. Uh, Robin, who <laughs> hurt you? Oh, much better directors made me <laughs> want more from movies. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like not Wes Anderson. I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm just left cold by him. And I think. The Tom Hanks part, for example, could have been played by literally anyone. And again, I'm, what I'm saying here is that this is not necessarily a Wes Anderson problem. I had the same issue with Lincoln because I thought it was way too overcast. Like so many of those parts did not have to go to recognizable faces. And when you're going out of your way to hire, you know, quote unquote, great actors who are just popular is really what you mean by that. Then you're making this feel less like an important story and more like, and here we've got Jeremy strong playing some fucking Senator. You don't know. Like it, it just got on my nerves. And I okay, same... wait. was Jeremy strong in Lincoln. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was. Okay. Oh, well that's wait, a diversion think... that we don't have to go down. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying of, to, am I thinking of the wrong guy? Jeremy strong is the guy from succession, right? Succession. Yeah. yeah I am pretty sure he's in, Oh, I'm thinking of Mark Strong. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're thinking of the guy from Kick-Ass. Yeah, I was about to say the older British guy. Yeah. Sorry. My point is, I'm not getting into Lincoln here. I'm just giving an example of like other directors who who overcast their films. And I think there are plenty of great actors who you wouldn't know. And this is a good opportunity to discover them, for example. Which, to be fair, he did hire some very good younger actors who were not necessarily like household names who, right. who really stood right. out just something that he's yeah. done in a lot of his previous movies, like moonrise kingdom um the grand budapest hotel like he's he really freaking slays it with this his youth casting that's like queens yes thank you bill <laughs> But what's funny is you say like Tom, anyone could have done the Tom Hanks thing. I don't think so. The scene where he is, we're in spoilers now. I don't know. Fuck it. Um, The scene where he's trying to negotiate with the three girls to like get the Tupperware Mm -hmm. out of the ground and like take it home. And he says like, you know, you know, we're committing her, you know, remains here because I've lost the power to like fight for her dignity. (laughs) That was like wrenching. It was like, it was so... It was so deep and cutting and like that's and you you get the power of that from Hanks because Hanks for I don't know 40 years now has been or I guess 20 years now has been like America's dad. 
And mm. hearing him say that and seeing that, and he's got... I also just saw the movie Greyhound over uh, my beach vacation. Nice. Because when you're looking for a movie to watch with a bunch of millennials, but then also our you know baby boomer parents... That's a good choice. Tom Hanks, baby. It's just a dad movie. Oh, my God. It totally was because me, who is a father, and my brother-in-law, who is a father, and Are my you father, a dad? who is a father, uh, we're all like on the edge of our seat like, oh, my God, they got to take out these U-boats. <laughs> and how were the women faring during this movie? Uh, my mother was actually very into it, and my sister mm-hmm. was too. My sister gets very invested in things, but I was a little surprised my mother liked it. But actually, my mother really liked Dunkirk. And um, Greyhound struck me as like a more linear focused American Mm -hmm. Dunkirk. That's obviously not as good as Dunkirk, but like was in the same vein genre wise. And so, yeah, she really liked it. Okay. So I want to say one final thing about having too many actors and then we can kind of move on. I think part of this that is hard to pull away from is the simple fact that having a lot of name brand actors in your film for independent cinema is key, right? It's key. It's key in having your film actually get distributed. It's key in having your film get financing. It's key in all of these different ways. And I think Anderson is one of these rare creatures where he is still kind of considered an independent film director, but he's definitely fucking not like he is too big of a household name by now to still have that kind of, you know, label, but people still kind of feel that way about him. It's he's, he's this little small, intricate, weird director. Um, But he has a lot of name brand recognition. And I think part of that was probably because as his, career was kind of you know getting getting bigger and bigger i think he just started populating his films with people that he liked to direct but it also made it very easy to get financing and you know his films have gotten bigger and broader and more intricate i think this one's probably a covid kind of holdover um and so you know it it feels like everything's kind of shot on a green screen but it's also is purposefully done that way right it's it's meant to be farcical in that way and a lot of his films are um so i think i think it's hard to i understand gunning for wes anderson in in that regard robin but i do find it difficult to be like oh you just casted a bunch of faces and it's like ooh, a lot of indie filmmakers are probably like yeah i did (laughs) because otherwise my movie wouldn't get made I mean, but isn't that true of not just indie cinema? Like, you need a star for almost anything. If sure, you really but I think. Well, and that's part of it is, you know, with these ballooning budgets and things like that, a lot of people are just like, well, fuck, like if I want another $20 million to make my movie, I need to cast another big star. And that's why, you know, you get X, Y, and Z. It's, It's why like a Mission Impossible film is just like, you know, littered with faces now. And it's because, well you know, Tom Cruise is maybe not having the cachet that he used to have. So now you got to start populating it around him. Right. Really? But, Cause didn't he just make the most popular movie of the <laughs> decade so far? Well, they want to say that that was it, Tom Cruise. I mean, it was Maverick. So it it is. I, 
I think people went because they're like, "Ooh, Kaczynski's got a new movie coming out." Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think people think like that though. I think it is a simple, easy to understand, digestible movie. It was, you know, a big hoorah to go back to cinemas. I think. I think there's a lot more than just the Tom Cruise of it all. I think that Tom. You cannot deny that Tom Cruise is a part of it, though. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it is is very difficult to extrapolate when the mummy did dog shit, right? Yeah, but that movie and also like looked dog shit. I don't know, like, exactly, the hard, right? So, like, so you're saying like more than just Tom Cruise? I'm saying that like even the biggest stars still have a limit, and I feel like the mummy <laughs> is the limit for every human being on Earth. I mean, like, does anyone? Are you saying what the it starts to unravel? Was called. Oh, Bill, come on. <laughs> hey. Anyway, um Yeah, we're I, I don't know. We're never gonna convince Robin that she's wrong, even though she is, so we can move on. Um <laughs> I don't know. I'll I'll admit it, you know, it's a personal peeve of mine. I I feel the same way about the bear knowing that there's going to be so many cameos as we continue to watch season two. It just gets on my nerves. I just wonder if this is like a problem that only critics have because like you watch the bear with a normie and they're like, Oh my God, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my God. It's, it's Saul from better call Saul. Oh my God. It's that person. I don't know. There were other people in there and I can't remember. Oh, it's a John Mulaney. And like, they're excited about it and they're into it. And we're just like, Oh, the casting director really got up their own ass this time. Uh." They've clearly the budgets have gone up and people are knocking at their door. But it's like, who gives a shit? Like, they're good actors. They're there. Unless the actor sucks, I don't see a problem with it. And like, I can't think of a single performance in this movie that wasn't great. So when Hong Chow shows up to uh, talk shit to uh, what's his face for a little while, Adrian Brody, I'm here for it. Give me them both. When Willem Dafoe is there screaming for some reason as an acting teacher, I'm happy about it. Doesn't he tell them to like fall asleep or something? There's like a whole thing we can get into about the sleeping yeah. part. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I haven't heard from Olivia in a bit. Olivia, you got you want to say something? Anything? You can. No, I'm thinking of the communal aspect of it off screen as well because I went to a Q and A and it was Wes Anderson and Jar- um, Jarvis Cocker, but oh, nice. he's in the film as one of the cowboys and also does two songs on the soundtrack. Um, kind of what you were saying, Robin. He just Wes was like, I fancy putting Jarvis in this film. I'll make him a cowboy. Um, so that's how he was added to it. But they were talking about the communal aspect off screen and how they all stay in the same hotel. They have dinner together every night. Jeff will be playing the piano. They'll all be talking about the scenes they just filmed. And I think if I was an actor of any caliber, any stage of my career, I'd absolutely want to be involved in that, you know? So I think it's what they get to do on screen as well as off screen. It's a whole Anderson experience that you probably don't get on every single film that you're on. Yeah. I mean, there's Tilda Swinton, Fisher Stevens, Bob Balaban, uh, Steve Carell. We haven't talked about sweet George. Yeah. I've mentioned him. Oh, did you? I okay. love, I love I, it. Yeah. So I love his, his vending machine. His, the oh, vending gosh, machines yeah. are incredible. A vending machine where you can buy real estate. I mean, well, you know, you're not really buying the plot. You're buying the yeah. stock that's a part of the yep. town that can be will come to maturity in 50 years. <laughs> um, Steve Carell, uh, there's that scene where the boy, like, who's always asking people if they dare him, and like his dad is finally <laughs> like, "Why? Why do you keep doing this?" And the boy says something like dark and heartbreaking, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, I dare, dare you to do what?" And then he says to climb that cactus, 
And Steve, <laughs> Steve Carell's just be like, no, absolutely not. I'm not daring you to do that. That's a terrible idea. It was great. <laughs> He's great in this movie. Everyone's great in this movie. It's perfect. Um, I, uh, you know, now that now, so now that we brought up the Willem Dafoe and actually, honestly, the communal part, there's a big part in this movie where, um, the, the playwright, um, Earp, right? Conrad, Earp, uh, played by Edward Norton goes to this acting class. Cause he's talking about how he wants people to be seduced into a deep slumber and he's not sure how to write it. And he wants these people to act it. And, um, in thinking about that at church today, for whatever reason, uh, my mind wanders. Um, it just struck me how much that was that was like such a a metatextual moment of being like, what I'm doing as a writer to these people in this play is actually what the director and writer of this film is trying to do to the people in the theater. And there's that whole scene where all these people are saying you have to fall asleep to wake up. Like... It's it's just like that is such a corny thing that could be so terrible. And in this movie, I found it deeply moving to the point where I was still thinking about today when I realized that that was basically him speaking to us, the audience and saying like almost almost specifically like this isn't real. This is a dream. Like, please, like you have to fall asleep to wake up like in order to come to the light. At some point, you have to like go to sleep. And I'm begging you now to go to sleep. So that when you walk out of here, you will be awakened again, which is like, it's just awesome. Like there's so much about this. I just want, like, I wanted to turn around and see this movie again immediately, which is not a thing I've felt about a lot of movies recently. And maybe part of that's because it was only an hour and 45 minutes. Um, maybe another part of that is I thought I saw it at an independent theater. So it started seven minutes after it's noted starting time instead of 45 minutes after it's noted starting time. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. It was it was just great. I'm I'm curious if anyone else had like moments like that that really like struck to them or spoke to them and have stuck with them specifically beyond this. Mm, I really liked that mantra. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. As you say, it's, I think for me, it, it made me think of going to sleep, stepping back a bit. You have to give up a little control. Mm-hmm. I think you do have to give up a little control when watching this to really be immersed in the story and give like understand the whole meaning. And you don't have to understand every little part of it. But I think giving up a little bit of control is very much part of what he's telling us to do. And there's another moment as well where um, Augie, the actor who plays Augie, is backstage and he says that he doesn't understand. He still doesn't understand the story. He says, I still don't understand the play. And then he's told, it doesn't matter. Just keep telling the story. Yeah. And even though that's, you know, dialogue between them, I think, again, that's Anderson telling us, the audience. Um, there's quite a few moments like that in the play or the film tv whatever you want to call it there's that moment where you know tilda swinton when she's playing the doctor she says your curiosity is your greatest asset you have to trust it um and i think curiosity is a big part of us as the audience as well when we're you know taking all this in we have to be curious yeah i just think there's so many moments like i've only seen it once and i would i'm sure i notice even more when i see it a second time where it seems like the actors are talking to each other and they are and it's part of the play or part of the black and white tv section but it's also anderson feeding a message to the audience i think it's just whether you want to take on that message or not yeah i absolutely agree wow i just have like no emotional (laughs) experience of this movie at all i mean i i liked the i liked the way it amused me i liked 
how visually interesting it was, but I definitely could not cling to any of the philosophical mantras it was it was you know throwing out there just that had no impact on me whatsoever what parts did you find amusing robin i really liked the alien oh yeah the alien is is basically (laughs) (laughs) just the thing that was so cute i found it so so funny and then like he sees the camera and he holds the rock up a little more yeah that was really funny and i like the stop motion uh or like stop motion like animation that was really well done yeah, mm-hmm. it was so funny when the alien posed with the asteroid, just spotting Augie and then posing and you know, <laughs> whipping back up in the sky. It really made me chuckle. Um, what other bits did you find amusing aside from the alien? Um, I liked the the whole, the conceit with the kids, you know, where they're all these little like astronomy nerds and their dynamic with each other. I thought that was, I, I thought it was a name fun game. Yeah, I just I thought the it was like a fun conceit, like how all these kids converge on the desert where, you know, all of all of these uh I don't even know, like nuclear sort of like memories of nuclear testing happened or still happen and they're with their families and you know, this alien comes down and then they're all stuck together for several days while the government tries to figure it out. Like it's just a good story or a good um, premise. Uh, yeah, a good premise. And all of the framing device, all of the sort of like emotional, you know, mushiness. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of like words and they're just not coming to me. But all of that just didn't feel necessary to me. Like if I understand it complements the story and, and it balances the story. But it's just not what I personally preferred about it. Well, l- let me ask you this. So, you know, you're saying you didn't really connect to it in this way, that way. The framing device didn't really work for you. And and to be fair, like it didn't work for me in large parts either. I, uh, you know, when the film opens and it starts with this framing device, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, come on. Let's let's get to Asteroid City. You know, um, but, you know, towards the middle, I was kind of I, I was grooving with it, especially some of the Adrian Brody stuff and things like that. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is you keep saying that it didn't really work for you in this way. It, you know, there was no emotional gut punch. But it, my question to you is, why does there have to be right? If if you could enjoy the Asteroid City aspect of this, right? And like, you think it's, it's cute. It's charming. It's got a good premise. Like, why is that not enough? Why is that? Why does it have she to said be it's more not. than that? No, she well, said, you, I mean, she has, I, I'm just feeding back to you all of... what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. You, you're, you're saying you just didn't connect to it. And that's, that's all you're saying. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that I need to emotionally connect with the movie you all were talking about how you emotionally connected to it. So I was just making me think that I did not have the same experience, but I don't necessarily think I need that for all films. Okay. That's true. That's fair. I'm sad for you. I feel bad for you. I mean, I don't care. I mean, you know, your experience, your soul and your heart. Yeah. I mean, your, your, your experience is your experience. You know, I'm I'm not going to try and make you have, have a different experience than the one you had. I mean, I, Unlike cried, me, I, I cried at Indiana Jones. 
Like, that is insane to me. <laughs> I was well, good. Good for you. So I, tears of anger. That doesn't mean. But also those that emotional experience did not really add to my enjoyment of the movie. Like I didn't rate mm-hmm. it any higher than well, I did I, this one just because I, I cried that at, made me emotional. I cried at click, but I'm not going to sit here and say that that's a great movie. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I mean, but that's, you that's know, I point. enjoyed it. I cried. You know, we d- bought d- a zoo, and that is a great movie. So I don't know what y'all <laughs> are talking about. So you know, it, I, I just it, it seemed like you kept on saying that you know you didn't emotionally connect with it, and I was just I, I was just struck by like it seems like you liked it other than other than that, and so I, I just didn't know why you you brought it's like it up a again. Charming bobble, an amusing toy, but to Robin, nothing deeper. Mm-hmm. Which is which is fine, yeah. you know. Sometimes we get a slinky. Meanwhile, and I was just like, really, all right. I was really rooting for the teacher and the cowboy to get together, and they did. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's Maya Hawk, right? Yes. Stranger Maya Things fame. Rupert Fr- Rupert Friend, which feels like a made up name. Yeah, I think this guy. Has I a I, secret I kept on thinking. I kept on thinking that it was Orlando Bloom, but it didn't look like Orlando Bloom. And I was just confused why I was thinking it was Orlando Bloom. I guess it was probably because I recognized him, but didn't know why. And my immediate reaction was must be Orlando Bloom because I haven't seen him in a while. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, th- I found that Cowboys like all of his scenes delightful and charming. And I love the fact that they got like kicked off the bus and it was just like, no, no more of the fucking Cowboys and <laughs> their singing band, like no more of this. I know. And yeah, I love that. Um, they're like, we heard, you know, little, little Donovan or whatever his name is like, you know, making a song and we've decided to play along and we can do it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. It was a great song. And he comes up and Catchy. talks to the kids about how the aliens like probably not, bad or whatever it's just like it's great it's cute mm. i loved it i don't know that it was super completely necessary but it was nice to have i liked it <laughs> they definitely add a lot to the soundtrack um anderson was saying how it amuses him that none of his cowboys are american because <laughs> <laughs> he's got rupert friend who's from oxford in england and then obviously jarvis who's from sheffield and then he had a french banjo player and he had a spanish local and someone from brazil but not yeah. one american in the mix <laughs> perfect well i mean you know you don't you don't have to be american to wrestle some cows so you know you can be a cowboy you can be a cowboy wherever you're from wrestle is such an interesting verb wrestle like like you you wrestle a cow like i just yeah okay you gotta rustle up some grub yeah yeah you know okay the reason i've been thinking about this is because there's wrestle yeah, just hear me out. So, okay. Olivia Ann, I don't know if you are familiar with this scandal going on in the UK entertainment scene, but there is supposedly um, a comedian who is about to get canceled over there. And I remember reading about how Catherine Park, the comedian, was saying, like, it is an actor who you can whose name you can do things with cows. Does this sound familiar to you at all? The uh, the controversy does absolutely, but not the cow thing. Okay, so I've, I I've heard of I I've I'm, heard of the first of all. I'm going to say it the way that you said it because I love it. I've heard of the controversy. But I've, <laughs> I, yeah, like it was weird how how much they were like, we're not going to say what this person's name is. Yes, so they're going out of their way not to say the person's name, but then Catherine Park is like, 
they're both things you can do with a cow. And so that made a lot of people on the internet think that she was talking about Russell Brand. And I was like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was that like, that makes sense. So much sense. <laughs> you rustle, you, yeah. <laughs> you got to rustle the cows. You got to brand exactly. the cows. So I've never really, in my mind, like ever understood or like connected the term rustling as a verb. Yeah, you you rustle the cattle. You can't. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it now. So it's just it's so it's funny that you brought up in that context uh, because I'll never be able to think of it any differently, and I won't be able to disconnect it from Russell Brand probably needing to get canceled for whatever reason. Um, Are we so so? Is that who it is? Is he a BBC personality? He's not BBC, but he is British. Right, but I thought it was someone in the BBC. The big controversy at the moment is someone from the BBC and names have been put online by people who I don't think are trained in media law. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Every time I see a tweet, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Um, But yeah, names are being thrown around. We know it's someone from the BBC. We know that the government has been spoken to about it. And uh, yeah, that name may or may not come out very soon. Because I saw someone be like, oh, it's probably this person because this apparently happened in May and this person stepped down like two weeks before it. And I was like, I can only imagine being a person who's like, who just like retired because they were done. And now this is happening like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have retired. Yeah, the speculation is wild. A lot of BBC people have come out and said, hey, it's not me. Um, Specifically not me. Yeah, they've had to come out and say that. And then there's news publications who are using pictures of random BBC presenters and putting it on their stories. Obviously, yeah. yeah. And we know people don't have a great attention span nowadays. So people might just see the link and the picture and they may just assume it's that person. It's a whole, yeah, again, media law. Right. And that's that thing where you like, oh, my God. And then you click on it and it's like, they're not naming it. This is un, you know, unrelated picture. of Like they did that on Facebook all the time where it's like, you won't believe these new Netflix shows that got canceled. And it would be like a still from Ozark. Mm. And people would be like, oh, no, did Ozark get canceled? Um, yeah. weirdly like, like the only show they allowed to play to like a full series finale. Um, anyway, well, is it, so were we pedophiles now, which is not were we asking, happened. were we asking if Russell Brand had been in the BBC or part of the BBC? No, this was disconnected from this new controversy. I, I was just referring to sort of Catherine Park's very clever way of talking around the controversy or. But what's interesting, if it's not Russell Brand, we got to go through every other BBC person to see if they can, if they're related to cows. Right. (laughs) Is there's like a brand butcher, you know, or something like a, like a milk Stevenson? (laughs) Milk butcher. Uh, (laughs) I would never trust anyone named milk butcher. What are things you do with a cow? I mean, like you butcher it. you, You Can you ride it? Can, you can feed it. I don't know. I don't think you can ride it. Can you rope it? Is that yeah? The you word? can rope. So if someone <laughs> okay. is named Rope, um, milk rope, <laughs> roper <laughs> inseminator, milk rope. Ew. No, we're not. No, 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 no. So speaking of rustling, because um, I thought Bill at first said wrestling, and it made me think of the fact that I always used to get uh, rifle and riffle mixed up. What is riffle? Riffle um, is like you like flipping or turning pages like really quickly. Yeah, I I think people say rifle through the pages. Right. So so here's the thing. 
you rifle through something. Like if I'm trying to steal something out of your sock drawer, like if I think you've got a gold watch in there, I rifle through your socks, right? But if I'm like just flipping through a pages of like a magazine, I'm riffling. I don't like that. I'm sorry, Bill. That's the truth. That's the way it is. Um, no, nope, anyway. too many actors. Nope. 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 <laughs> this has been grammar corner. Um, this is anyway. like a very advanced word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Rassle, rustle, rifle, riffle. If okay. anyone shoots so, that at me, I will Venmo you $5. So so there is a sequence here, and we've already kind of referenced it, or not referenced it. We've we've outright talked about it. But I, you know, my my personal training background can't can't turn off at a certain point. And when I saw Tom Hanks pop a squat, a beautiful squat, and to talk to those three little children as they were like burying the ashes of their mother. I was just struck that he's 67 years old and his squat was beautiful and he, his heels weren't off the the ground. Like it was a great little graceful squat. And I was just like, what the fuck does he do? that he can just he can just squat like this at 67 years old. I know I know 20 year olds that can't squat that well. <laughs> and like I was just like holy shit. This guy must work out in, you know, or or he's like Asian squatting everywhere. This is why I love talking about film because I made so many notes in the screening of Asteroid City, but the word squat did not come up once. <laughs> That's, you know, that's well, the Bill of is cinema. a trainer. <laughs> the beauty of I now need to that... see it again and specifically watch out for that part. I know the part you're talking about, but I just didn't, I guess, appreciate the physicality of said squats. Yeah, right. you know, was, everyone's uh... talking about Tom Cruise sh- jumping a motorcycle. <laughs> no one is talking about the perfect squat that Tom Hanks pulled in this movie. Yeah, just think- nonchalantly. Oh, was it Tom Hanks? Was it a body double? (laughs) Did Keanu Reeves fall down all those stairs? Did Tom (laughs) Hanks make that squat? Yeah. Was it a guy just with a a green screen face? You know, just a little (laughs) mask. I think we need to email Anderson about this and just hope for a response. I'm probably going to make a tweet about this and just be like, all right, I, I need to know what's what's going on with Tom Hanks and his squat routine and, you know, what he does outside of outside of making movies, because clearly. He, yeah, 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 sure. I'm sure. Um, you know, I mean, there are celebrities that do that, but yeah, something tells me he's not. <laughs> I think he's just one of those guys who's like old school fit. Maybe like just because he like, you know, uses a manual push lawnmower and like opens doors for his wife all the time, like that kind of fit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, um, I'm I, you know, I, I (laughs) with the alien thing, like it just inventoried the asteroid and brought it back. Yeah. It, it was probably insignificant. It, it had lost it, and it needed to go retrieve it real quick. Right. It just needed to. It just needed to put the label on it and then put it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it first landed five thousand years ago, so maybe they just got to check in on it every yeah. five thousand years or so. That's what it seems like. <laughs> it was just. It was so great. It was, it's just <laughs> embarrassing that it had to happen like in front of people. Worried. 
I know. Oh my god, it's so awesome. It's like okay, the quarantine's over. Hey, the aliens back. Uh, the quarantine's back on, and then it's just a riot. <laughs> How did you feel about the quarantine aspect of it? Because I'm at that point now where I'm not over think, seeing like lockdown and quarantine and film, but it's kind of something I'm hoping to escape, and I, it's not something I welcomed seeing on on the screen all the time. However, with that, it to- I totally didn't even mind it, and it made sense that Anderson and, and Roman were, you know in lockdown when they were writing it and it just fed into the you know play that way i think it's but, yeah i i mean in, it's funny because like because it's a play i was like well of course they've got to be in quarantine like they're only supposed to be there for three days you need to put these people in a pressure cutter like hmm. 12 angry men but also it, it kind of goes back to what i was saying about the um the candy coating that he kind of puts on this because of this like weird looney tunes-esque world he's built you hear that these people have been quarantined and like it didn't even occur to me that it was like, you know, anything slightly COVID related, you know, or like, yeah, same. Mm. to me, it was just like, Haha, yeah, because like, it's the 50s. And of course, the government's going to be super paranoid about an alien. Um, It like worked perfectly for me in that way. It was it was awesome. I didn't I didn't give it a second glance about that. Um, Maybe I, I did appreciate I did appreciate that, like, you put these brainy kids and it kind of turns into, you know, the Goonies or or any kind of kid team up movie where they, like, figure out a way to break the quarantine. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they get that message out to one of the newspapers um, and it's just like, well, of course, you have, like, these brilliant little kids and you tell them, like you know, hey, you're going to be stuck here for seven days or whatever it is. It's like, no, they're not going to listen to you. Like they're they're going to, you know, in this way, you know, they're going to tweet about it. Right. They're going to they're going to find a way to get Internet reception. They're going to find a way to get the message out. They're going to find a way. Um, And I thought that was that was clever to use them as kind of the reason that this message and, you know, it, it it seemed like that was part of the reason that they ended up being released. I think they got released a little bit early and stuff like that. And it was just like, well, yeah, because, you know, all the press and everything like that. I agree. It's and- great that the um, big undoing of this scary government control was a high school newspaper <laughs> and a very clever network. And then how they got to the phone booth as well. Very amusing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, it was, you know, they floated me money, but I don't feel right stealing from the phone company. Mm. It's just like, oh, civic duty. Nope. I also love that uh, the alien picture got out there because he had just like already sent it off to his manager along with a nude print of Mitch Campbell. What do we think about that relationship? It's like, if, if we're looking at the movie in, in which it's hot, it's hard, almost impossible to do it, but as a like, conventional film you know you've got this romance between a widowed war correspondent and this you know hollywood starlet who is constantly told that she's like a really talented comedian um even though she mostly gets cast to play tragic people which is very scarlett johansson um so what did we think of that was that like effective for us was it like was it a thing that really worked for us in terms of a romance or was it just like a nice little, I don't know, like a, like a um, intellectual exercise to be able to hang out with these two. I almost didn't register them as having a romance. Like it took me oh my God, a few scenes <laughs> to realize 
that that was a real thing that's happening. It just wasn't, it just wasn't as explicit as you would have assumed. And then I kind of thought maybe they were faking it. Like, I don't know. I, I just kind of came into that like a little confused because maybe there was just like zero chemistry. Everything about this movie with Robin is just like, is this real? (laughs) I I almost didn't realize this was a movie. I mean, it's not. It's a play. It's a televised play. Yeah, no, I I think the romance works. I think what's interesting about it is it is one of those kind of quarantine or, you know, uh, five days stuck in blah, 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 you know, forced interactions in a way. And they kind of, you know, she realizes that, yes, he knows she's famous, but also doesn't really care that she's famous. Um, And you know, I think they find a camaraderie in that and they directly say it like they do not speak their emotions. Right. They they hold hold them inside of themselves. And so that makes them, um, you know, attract the wrong kind of people in a lot of ways. Um, not that uh, Schwartzman's wife was the wrong kind of woman or anything like that. But, you know, obviously she's dead. So. You know, that's uh that's a problem. <laughs> obviously she's a corpse. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I I found that clever. I like the fact that it, 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 <laughs> that Tom Hanks like openly hits on her. And I think one of the first things he says to her is he asks if she's married, and it's just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and yeah, I, I think. I think it is, it's a nice little romance. I think it is what it is. I think the fact that there is no big, you know, beautiful goodbye or anything like that, she's just gone. Um, I Nothing think but a that's, PO box. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's lovely because it also means that maybe there is something, maybe there isn't. Maybe this is just, you know, a a one-time thing. Maybe this is just convenience of location and otherwise we don't have that much in common or, you know, one of those things. Um, So, okay. I'm I'm like waiting for Robin to be like, no, like, I don't think she would have left a man. I just didn't care. Again, it just didn't register for me. I I more agree with Bill, I think. I, I liked it for what it was. I did like, again, as you said, that there wasn't this big goodbye or it wasn't blown into anything else. And there were real, no real expectations there. But I thought it was interesting how, you know, when they were reading lines together and she told him to lean into his grief. That yeah. kind of relationship between them, it was, it was, it allowed us to lean into his grief a little bit more, which I found interesting. And there was something she said. She said, it was, she said, we're two catastrophically wounded people who don't express the depths of our pain. That's from memory, but I'm pretty sure that's what she said. And yeah. um, that line really got me as well because I just, it, it just stayed with me. I thought it was quite a beautifully put way of describing her and him. And I think, you know, the window shots that we got of them two, you know, speaking across the windows to each other, it kind of yeah. reminded me of, you know, the Zoom screen that we all had during lockdown how that, yeah. was like our, that was our only like kind of outlook into the world we were seeing people through that zoom screen the same way they're seeing each other through those windows that kind of caught me so i um what's weird is that it's so 
That reminded me of um, Ghost Story. Did, has everyone here seen Ghost Story? I yes. haven't. Okay. Uh, it's David Lowry. I have not. And a guy dies and becomes a ghost. Uh, and the ghosts are like sheets with dark eye hole ghosts. They look like, and they are literally sheets. And he is like stuck in this house, right? The house that he he had lived in. And there is a scene where he looks out the window and in the house across the alleyway is another ghost. And they have these completely wordless conversations. It's only subtitles. This once again sounds very pretentious, me describing it. It's heartbreaking in the film itself. <laughs> and they're they're having these conversations and it's like, you know, one of them's like, you know, why are you here? And it's like, I'm waiting for someone who I don't know. And there's a point in that film where the 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 the, the main ghost, our main character ghost, um, looks over and the other ghost says, I don't think they're coming. And then immediately the the blanket collapses to the floor. Like the spirit inhabiting it has now disappeared because it's lost the need to stay around because suddenly doubt has entered it. And that's what I felt watching this movie. I, I came home and I was almost like, I need to watch a ghost story right now. But instead I was very tired and went to bed because I am an old man now. Um, yeah, so I felt that. I and again, like I don't know. I I had a very different quarantine experience than everyone else. So I didn't really do a lot of the Zoom stuff. And most of my work stuff, we we didn't use cameras cuz like everyone kind of agreed like let's fucking not like do that to each <laughs> other. Um you know, I was still running the distillery. I was still making hand sanitizer. I was still doing all this other stuff. So, like, I didn't have the Zoom thing. And, like, a couple of friends would be like, we're going to have a Zoom happy hour. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Absolutely not. I will I will be on, you know, on my earphone. Like, you know, I will talk to you, but I will not look at your face. I can't with the video calls. So, I am yeah. committed early on to a weekly Zoom call with friends. So as well as work Zoom calls, I did have a weekly Zoom call with friends, which got less and less. The, the squares got like diminished in numbers as the weeks went on. Right. Um, I was about to say, like, yeah. that must have been very sick because like the first week is like, oh, there's 10 of us. And then like week four, it's like, oh, there's like eight of us, six of us. Where do all the other people go? And then like finally one day someone tries to log on and it's like you're the only person in the chat and they wait exactly. 15 minutes and then hang up. Exactly. The first week there were games. We had a little schedule. We had everyone like some, we had snacks. Like we were like snacking together, if you will. Like everyone had food and drinks on their own, you know, screens. It just got less and less uh, exciting until, as you say, uh, <laughs> part, party of one. <laughs> That's sad. But also, yeah, it's just sad, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's sad. Most it's, of it's my meetings at work are still on Zoom. So I work from home still. I have worked very hard to keep that. And I all, all of my meetings, therefore, are on Teams. And every time they're like, hey, we're going to do cameras, I'm like, oh, fuck you. And then I turn my camera on and I try my best not to roll my eyes all the time. I don't. If I had to go back into a client meeting right now, I don't know that I'd be able to actually function. I feel like mm -hmm. I've lost the ability to hide my disdain for my clients sometimes. <laughs> that's uh that's that's not good <laughs> I know. well if the clients would stop being idiots 
Um, there was a I saw I saw a gif the other day from uh, the Simpsons where Principal Skinner's father says, I want everything in one bag, but I don't want it to be heavy to like the person sacking her stuff at the, the grocery store. And that's literally every client meeting I've ever had. Anyway, <clears throat> most of my meetings are still on Zoom. Like I literally go into my office and then can be on Zoom seven hours a day. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm on zoom a lot as well, like from first thing in the morning. And then sometimes someone will message you on Slack, like, Oh, got time for a quick, quick zoom. You're like, okay. Yeah. I'd rather <laughs> die, but thanks. I'm in a lot of meetings that I don't need to be because they're like, Hey, we need a writer there in case they have any questions. I'm like, they're not gonna have any questions for the writer. So what's great is that I can be in that meeting, but still work on my writing. Um, if I had to be on camera, I feel like it would very quickly get very awkward because people would be like, Brian, <laughs> why can't we like your hands are moving and your eyes are off to the side. It's like, no, no, I'm totally paying attention to you. It's great. This is all perfect. It's wonderful. Well, I think I think paying attention in meetings is is a lost art form and being engaged with your work is also a lost art form. I almost find all like of my, almost all of my meetings are, are summed up in the, this meeting could have been an email. Sure. Meme. But I also find that a lot of people that say that kind of stuff usually are in meetings where the, the target may not be specifically you but it may involve you and you just don't give a shit right and and that can yeah. be easily summed up as like i don't care about this like it may affect me like two weeks from now but it's not going to affect me today and so today i just really don't give a shit yeah. like I, I've, I've been in in-person meetings where people are just on their phone like in a so room I in a room with five people now, and is someone like or was this like always this is yesterday like right, which is post pandemic i'm saying are you are you claiming that this is because of the pandemic or are you saying that this oh, is fuck no. like a modern condition yeah this is just the modern condition and i i find it really like odd and awkward and i find it funny that people feel like a zoom meeting is this like you know, sink, you know, like sanctuary of like, Hey, everybody's got to pay attention. And it's like, Oh man, you have not had an in-person meeting in quite a while. Because if you think everybody's paying attention in in-person meetings, I got, you know, big news for you. It, it, you know, a lot of people are not. And I, it's it, one yeah. of my favorite work memories is um, during meetings. When I had to be there, I would take out a pen and my notebook and I would try to see how many poems I could rewrite from memory perfectly. Um, mm -hmm. I, I may have told this story, but one time at a meeting, someone showed up late. And then afterwards, they're like, hey, I saw you taking notes the whole time. Can I see those? Yeah. And luckily, it was a friend of mine. And so I handed it over. And he's like, why is this the Lake Isle of Innisfree and the Raven? And I was like, because I wasn't paying attention. But if you glance up and keep writing, everyone thinks that you're on board. So I just do it to keep from falling asleep. Excellent. Yes. It's I've great. definitely rewritten the Jabberwocky in class. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm going to rewrite lines from Asteroid City. Good luck. 
<laughs> I don't know. I feel like Olivia Ann and I have been throwing out like full direct quotes. Yeah, we have. We have. They've stayed with us. They've stayed with us for a reason. Um, when did you all see the movie? Last night. Last uh, last afternoon. Okay. What was about a, you, Olivia? It was a five fifteen screening. <laughs> I, I saw it a couple of weeks ago. I went to the. Um, it was the with. Well, I mentioned the Q&A with Wes Anderson yeah. screening first and then the Q&A after. So, yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago now. Nice. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago what when it you, released. Robin? Yeah, I saw it uh, about a month ago. Man, you fucking people. <laughs> I wish well, I could have seen a couple of weeks ago. you are invited to screenings, are you I not? am. Guess what? I have a child I have to watch. Yeah, um, that sucks. I've thought about... Now that I uh, we keep talking about money on this podcast, now that I'm doing better and I could probably afford a babysitter every now and then, I've started thinking about like, oh, I should go out and see like a thing when it comes out. Um, you know, go to some of these screenings, like maybe start trying to write some movie reviews again or maybe just like whatever. So it would have been cool to do this. Uh, I was viciously angry one night. I'm not even going to tell this story. Never mind. <laughs> excellent (laughs) um but yeah no i i like i do wish i could have was your earlier and then upon doing this been able to see it again it would have been great was your screening full brian it was so (laughs) so i went and saw this at the old greenbelt theater in greenbelt maryland um anyone who doesn't have anything to do right now uh, other than listen to this podcast google Greenbelt, Maryland. It's actually very interesting. It's one of the Greenbelt cities. I think it's like the only one that got built or that is still basically the same. It was an FDR New Deal kind of thing. It was like a walkable community, blah, blah, blah. And so it's got this like city center and it's got an old school movie theater there. And I have never been into the actual full auditorium because the first time I tried to see a movie there was The Farewell. And I went and they were The Farewell. I don't know what that is. How how long ago is this? I, not very. It was the one where okay. uh, Aquafina. Aquafina, yeah, and her yeah, that movie's great. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great I, movie. I'm pretty sure we <laughs> we were, or maybe not Robin, but Bill. I'm pretty sure you were on that episode. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure I was. <laughs> but anyway, so I went there and I was like, "This is great. I'm going to be able to see the farewell. I'm going to get to see this movie theater because like AFI Silver is a great old movie palace. And I was really excited to see this one. And I show up and it's under construction. They're like rehabbing it. So the the room that I got to see it in was like a bunch of blackout curtains arranged in a square and oh, no. like a and, a and a projector. And I was like, OK, well, whatever. And I saw the movie and it was good. And so I was like thinking about it. I was like, oh, Asteroid City is playing at the old Greenbelt Theater. And it says it's playing in the auditorium. This is perfect. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I get there and apparently it wasn't. Apparently there was like a problem or something. And so it was in the screening room, which now is no longer made of blackout curtains, but is still maybe 30 seats. It is incredibly (laughs) thin, but I still had a good time and it was still a fine projection. And I am looking forward to one day seeing what the inside of the actual theater looks like. And I will talk about it on this podcast, hopefully. Um, as I was walking out, I almost said to the girl who was made in the concession stand, like, I swear to God, I'm not trying to like screen dip or whatever. I'm just going to go in and look at it. I just need to see what this place looks like. But now it's become a, I don't know, my white whale. So 
Anyway, so was the screening full? Yeah. Was it maybe only 15 people? Also, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but everyone had a good time. Like, people were laughing. People were having a verbal uh, responses to things. And everyone sat through the entirety of the Roadrunner dance. And then when it cut to the black screen and the rest of the credits, I stood up to leave. And everyone else remained seated. And I felt like an asshole, but I had to go. So. <laughs> I, I've I've found more and more people stay during the credits, and I wonder if this is the marvelization of yeah. Just, I definitely I'll, think it is. So you like think people think that I, like Royal no, Tenenbaum no, no. is going to show up at this and be like, "Hey, Augie." I think, <laughs> I think people are just used to staying after the credits, and I think there's something about like just sitting down and just waiting till the actual like credits end i think more and more people are starting to do that out of just like oh Difference. this is actually nice like you know we don't have to immediately get up and get out of our seat unfortunately if you go to a a decently sized you know uh theater the uh you know the the staff is like oh what the fuck why are it's you like, still here <laughs> like <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I have a job to do and you're delaying me and now I'm just going to have to wait here or awkwardly like grab stuff in front of you and around you and just like work around you. And yeah, so I left the second uh, that Indiana Jones pulled his hat off of the clothing line and um, I was the only person who stood up and it was like at once heartening because I'm like, oh, people are watching the credits, but also depressing because I was like, that movie sucks. And also, I wonder if these people actually do think they're going to get like a Marvel style mid credit sequence. But this one, I mean, at, at independent theaters like this, especially when it's, I don't know, older people and like young enthusiasts, like they almost always stay for the whole thing. Especially Wes yeah. Anderson. Like, it's not going to be like a 45 minute credit sequence. Which is which is funny that on this movie, probably. I mean, it's. Uh-huh. Legitimately, there were points when I was like, how the fuck did they do this? Like, was it all green screen? Is that all like like CGI backdrop? Or like how much is this practical? Like it's and it's weird that a movie of this stripe and this caliber and this size would make me say that more than any Marvel film ever did, where I'm just like, I know, I know, it's a computer. You know, when you're when you're on that train, I was like is this has got to be a miniature, right? Or is it CG or is it like both? Or is it, I like, I just don't know. And I love that. Do they even make miniatures anymore? They must, right? What? Miniatures. Do they make miniatures? I mean. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Star Wars still employs them. Um, wow. I'm sure that there, uh, there are other uh, things that do. Christopher Nolan probably. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's still a thing, but you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you have to have a, a a very specific use case, and you know, they've there's more than likely a lot of use of CGI around the utilization of the miniatures to kind of supplement, you know, some things that that aren't as easy to you know have certain effects and things like that, so. But yeah, I I bet you there still is, you know, I mean, it, it it's a, a, a smaller art form now <laughs> than it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, but, I thought you were doing you it know. on purpose. Um, no. 
So I'm I'm almost out of things to talk about. I do I do just want because I have four people who've actually seen the movie, or I'm one of them. So I have three other people who've seen the movie in a single place. I'm curious the the scene where Brian Cranston as the host appears in the colorized full screen, you know, story and says, Oh, am I not supposed to be here yet? and then leaves. Do we think that's just hilarious? Which it is. Or do we think there's a deeper meaning? I would love to hear from Olivia and Cleary. <laughs> I found it amusing. I mean, I loved any. I wish we had more seconds with Brian to soak up from this film. <laughs> I just really, really enjoyed seeing him. I didn't take anything deeper from it. I thought it was amusing. But what do you mean deeper? You think it's something I like literally, a, one I of have, the messages, perhaps? Maybe. I have no idea. Like I Like, this is one of those things where I'm like, I need to go back, lost style, to the island. And um, I'm just curious if like if there's like a rhythm to his break ins and that scene like deviates from it. And so he appears and he's like, oh, we're not ready for me yet. I'm sorry. And then like disappears or if it is just like if it's just funny, it works for me. But I do wonder if there's something else. And so, again, as I said, I've got three other consciousnesses who have perceived this film. And I was curious if anyone had a read on it or if it was just like. That's funny. Why does it have to be anything else? When I watched it, I just found it funny. But now that you've said that, potentially it could be something. I mean, it did mess with the fluidity of it. It stopped for a second, a little bit disorientating. And then, you know, business as usual. There is a lot of motion in the film. I mean, even at the end, we watch that car drive way off. It's <laughs> There's a lot of it's you know, and we're just sitting there watching it drive and drive. And it's that motion of moving forward. So I guess his interruption could be seen as something bigger. But honestly, when I watched it, I just found it a funny moment and appreciated the funniness. I will tell you something funny that I have taken away from this movie is like not so much something that I found funny in the movie, but something so stupid I found in the movie that I can't help but repeat it, which Uh, is. (laughs) Why are you even here? Like, I like to box a fake boxing thing. What is that called? Like oh, the punching uh, bag. bag. Yeah, yeah. I like fake speed bagging at my husband because <laughs> we thought it was so stupid. When Adrian I loved Brody's it. fake speed boxing? Yes. Why? Because <laughs> it looks so stupid. Why does it look? I don't. Okay. I have trouble it was with just, you. I, because it was, it's just so pretentious. <laughs> but there's a speed bag like right next to him. Why is he doing that? Okay, so here's With- the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Oh, God. I thought we were done, but we're about to go so much deeper. <laughs> no. There are times in this movie where it feels as though the people within it are are deviating or are off center. So there's that where he's got the speed bag off to the side, but it's like not precisely where it's meant to be. And so he's doing it where he's supposed to be doing it because he's more concerned about hitting his mark than being true. Or is it that he doesn't want to hit the speed bag because it's like a thing from his previous play and he doesn't want to fuck with it? Or is he just remembering when it used to be there? There's also a point we talked about the scene with Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like lost my mind, but I'm almost positive that Augie, uh, played by Jason Schwartzman, comes out and says, you're the wife who would have played my actress instead of you're the actress who would have played my wife. Mm-hmm. Can any can anyone confirm or deny no. that that's what happened? 
That is no so idea. interesting. I can't confirm or deny, but it. I I heard it and it 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 tripped me up because I was like, "What the fuck did he just say?" And then it like I it took me a second to gauge like, "Oh, that's what it meant." So either again, maybe I just for a moment had verbal dysphagia and I need to see a doctor, or. The, I, you know, they, there was a reason for that. Like what it, but what would the reason be? I don't know, but there was something about that and the way it made me pause that reminded me of the speed bag thing and just all these other things where I'm like, like, there's just like the, the twist that's wrong. And then you think about like, Oh, there was that, you know, machine that ate the guy's quarter, but then it got turned off and on again. And then it came out and it's just like, you know, this car ha- could have two problems with it. And instead it has a third problem that they'd never seen before. And this piece comes out of it and is just juddering and sputtering the whole time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you just like, again, I, it's, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I need to see the movie again. Cause I need to know if I actually heard that line wrong, which I feel like is not something that has ever happened to me before, or is at least never happened in a way that was so jarring that it destroyed by train of thought and consciousness. Um, or if it was legitimately said wrong, in which case, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean for the play? What does that mean for the TV show about the play? What does that mean for everything? Like, I don't know. It's, um, what does that mean for us, the audience? There's so I, much yeah. of it that could be really intentional. Mm-hmm. Yep. I and I think, I, I think that's part of the the speed bag thing is is a visual gag. It's a acknowledgement that this is, you know, a movie. So him hitting the bag or him not hitting the bag, what is the difference? To yeah. me, there is no difference. And I feel like him not hitting the bag is kind of, you know, selling us in on this joke of, you know, what we're watching is kind of him him having to be phony to kind of jog his memory or things like that. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the interesting things about art is you can, you can come in and, you know, like I was saying, you can basically take this framing device and as an audience member, you can just flatly reject it. Right. You can just be like, eh, it doesn't, doesn't work for me, but the asteroid city of it all works for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's interesting in that, you know, I didn't really connect with it at first. And then I ended up connecting with it later, but I still don't necessarily want that framing device. I still enjoyed the asteroid city of it all. Um, and so I think uh, almost always it is very easy to interpret interpret a lot of things out of these films um whether the artist you know intended it or not and i find like some people really want to reach into this film in particular and grab a lot of meaning out of things that you know anderson may or may not have intended um which is perfectly fine um but I do find it interesting that, you know, some people are going to be like, well, it was just stupid. Like, <laughs> why is it so dumb? Well, and then some people... people are like, this is what it means. And and here are the five other explanations that I can give you. And it's just like, or it's really dumb, you know? And I find the same kind of situation that happens with like people that, 
you know, uh, go into a movie that they think is bad and they just kind of shut off from it and they stop thinking about it. And I find that that's always an interesting, you know, exercise in the type of person that can go into a dumb movie or a bad movie, quote unquote, and still find, you know, interesting aspects of it and, and things that it was trying and, and stuff like that. Right. They don't, they don't give up instead. They, they, you know, can't turn off that part of their brain. Um, and so they still find certain things. Um, that's why like some reviewers, uh, when, you know, usually this is in in written form, but there are certain reviewers where I will just read whatever they write because the way that they analyze things is so interesting to me that even like a bad movie, they fully digest it and analyze it. Um, like Armand White. I don't always I, agree with him, but mm-hmm. his takes to, are very interesting. Love to see the way his mind works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I think I think he is he is a great example of that kind of you know uh, he is a hallmark in that way. Um, I think Ebert was a hallmark in that way as well. Whether you liked the or whether he liked it or not, it was always interesting to read what he had to say about you know certain pieces of cinema and things like that. Um, so th- there are just certain people that, you know, will will grab the smallest little thing and just be like, oh, my God, this is what it means. And, you know, 15 other people would just be like, what? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And they'll be like, how many times have you seen this? And they'll be like once. And you're just like, oh, Jesus. It's also you like, know? It's, I remember I remember <clears throat> watching. Um, I can't remember. It was it was I think it was The Departed. Um, Martin Scorsese has like you know shipping up to boston playing and it ends really suddenly and jarringly and it it almost felt like like something wrong had happened like (laughs) i don't know i don't know if any of you know what i'm talking about he like you know they 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 have him go into the the prison and everything and he's serving the time and it's just playing really really loud and there's a part where he like talks to one guy for one second and dips down, then comes back up immediately. And then he goes and like sees his friend and his mom is and the friend's mom is there and she's smoking and she's like, oh, Sully. And it's just like in the middle of a word, like it's not where you'd expect it to be. And it doesn't fade out. It's just gone. And like other people mm-hmm. have been like, oh, Martin Scorsese is like terrible with continuity errors. And it's because like, yeah, like because he doesn't give a fuck. Like it's, it's a movie. It's artifice. It's not real. It's not going to be perfect. Yeah, the, like the number of martini glasses or how much they're full is going to change. But like you shouldn't really be focusing on that. You should be focusing on Matthew McConaughey being nuts, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, in this movie, there's, there's the moments like that. It's almost like someone who knows where they're supposed to be and knows what they're supposed to be saying and doing so hard that they they can't like they can't get into the reality of it. Or they're like so set in their ways that they don't even notice that something's different. I mean, the scene with the boxing, the speed bag, I'm pretty sure is is followed immediately by his wife coming in and like divorcing him or like talking about the fact that they are being divorced and like giving him a paper to sign. But it's really just his son's um, report card. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I thought these were the papers. And it's like, no, those will be coming later. But like, you know, this is what we've got for now. And like, that's another inversion of the expectation. 
It's like, yeah, we're getting divorced. We know it's over. But these are not those papers. These are a different paper you have to sign. Because there is sometimes something different that's happening than what we expect to happen. So I find that really interesting. I really enjoyed that. So do I. I think people go into Anderson films in particular with expectations. And he has such a specific style. People seem to go into his films with expectations attached to that. And I know we were saying earlier how someone, you know, some people are like, oh, it's the same every time. Imagine if he completely retired his style and done something new. Everyone would be complaining that he turned right. his back uh, on the classic Anderson, Anderson. Anderson. And it looks like the bicycle thieves. Exactly. Um, and what you were saying, Bill, about people wanting meaning from it is really interesting. I think even further than that, some people just want straight up answers nowadays, which, you know, films and art in general, it's not, it's not obligated to answer any questions for us. It's supposed to make us ask questions about the meaning of life, relationships, and everything in between. But it's not obligated to answer things for us. You know, that's what we do after a film or after a piece of art. We discuss it amongst ourselves, you know? Well, I find that interesting because a lot of a lot of film directors, especially older, older school ones, they don't want to answer yes or no to certain things right um one of a, a lot of people one of their least favorite things to answer is what did you mean by you know x y and z and mm. a lot of filmmakers and in particular you know the the uh mystery box kind of filmmakers are like well i, I you know i i want the audience to have their own and and it's like yeah i fucking understand that but i want your interpretation like i, I you know, a lot of people are like, well, if I give my interpretation, then that becomes the only, and it's just like, get out of your own ass. Like, no, people are still going to interpret things differently than whatever you say it is. You know, um, I find it so interesting that some people are, are really skittish around that. And it's just like, I just, you know, want someone that is involved in the production of this thing to give me their interpretation. Not that it's right, not that it's wrong, not that it is the only thing. And I understand that, you know, some filmmakers and some artists are like, well, you know, again, that would be the interpretation that everybody takes away. But I, I find that so lacking in, in trust of the audience that people would just be like, oh, well, you know, it just means X. And it's like, well, how often have people interpreted artists' works differently than what the artist intended? Like, it happens almost every day. Mm -hmm. So um, I find it interesting that some people are, you know, shy away from that. And to me, like, you, you know, you you were talking a little bit about, like, you know, a lot of audiences want answers. I I think it's a little bit different in that I listen to a lot of podcasts about movies or shows or things like that. And I actually really latch on to podcasts that, you know, deep dive into TV shows. And I love, you know, like succession. I, I was mentioning this uh, the other day on the Slack channel. I listened to like three different succession podcasts. One was the official one and two others were unofficial. And I always really enjoy the discussion of it. Not that anything that, you know, someone says on any of those three podcasts is right or wrong. It's just an interpretation of it or, you know, you know, um, 
intention or things like that, even if it's with the creative, it doesn't matter what they say. It's more of, oh, that's an interesting thing that, you know, that was their intent. Did it, did it result in that? Who knows? You know? Um, and so I just find that interesting that, you know, you're kind of talking about, you know, people want answers. Um, so I actually, uh, in 2017, apparently, cause I went and looked it up for the film stage. I have an article that, uh, I wrote and it's, um, coming on the heels of mother. The article is tired. Darren Aronofsky's mother and the insidious effects of ex- the effects of explainer culture. And I was talking about like this, like how like a movie is released and within 24 hours, there's like 17, you know, the ending of X explained. Mm-hmm. And like, what's funny is like, we still see these cause they still drive clicks, I assume. But sometimes they're so obvious. <laughs> it's truly insane. And I do get annoyed by that. Like, cause I love like the moments like this, where we talk about what it meant to me you know, what it could mean for others. But like, there's something very fucking weird about that need to have things explained, the desire to have things explained and not wanting, like you want to, it's like, we believe there's like some truth. There is some, there is some earnest, you know, obligation towards the facts. And therefore there has to be a single answer. And like, aside from certain things, like there isn't like, it's just not like, especially in art, like the, these ambiguities exist and like why attempt to give them something else, which is why when I see something like the speed bag in this movie, a movie that is so clearly specifically art directed and designed and written and performed and directed that I just can't see that and go like that must be just a thing that happens. Like it feels, and that's why I asked about like the Brian Cranston thing. Cause like, it could just be funny, but it also feels like there's an import to it, which is <laughs> funny. Cause now I'm making, I'm sounding like the people who are talking about the alien, which is probably the point where you just are like, it's impossible that this thing showed up and took <laughs> this goddamn asteroid. And it means nothing. And you know, you're trying to come up with the reason you're trying to see why, like, what did it mean when Cranston was by the communal showers? Like, what did it mean when Adrian Brody was pretending to speed bag next to an actual speed bag? And maybe the answer making is making the noises. Right. And, ma- <laughs> and maybe the answer is at some point, you know, it's just going to get dropped back and it's been categorized and inventoried and it's back. And like, you were just around for this fraction of a second to see this one wrong thing that was only wrong to you because you'd never seen it before or heard it before and yet here it is and it happened and it doesn't have to have all the import because it didn't have anything to do with you and that's a crazy wild ride to take in this movie that i thought was just going to be about like you know some people stuck in a desert it's full circle isn't it i mean we're here talking about the meaning of this and that and that's exactly what they're doing in the film yeah they're talking about the meaning of science and life and does God exist and does that alien mean us harm or maybe he's actually got good intentions. They're dissecting everything too. Yeah, I know. As I, as I was as I was rambling, I was like, oh no, I've become <laughs> the people talking about the alien. We've become our own asteroid city quarantine. <laughs> Yay. Meet me. Except for Robin, <laughs> who's just like, I don't know. It just was like dumb to me. Not mm-hmm. all of it, just certain, <laughs> certain aspects of it. You know, like I said at the beginning, either either you, you grok 
Wes Anderson or you don't. I'm not going to denigrate the movie because there were certain things that I didn't like. I'm not going to say it was absolute trash shit. Like some people are saying about Barbie, even though they haven't seen it yet. It just, I'm not saying you know, the movie is trash shit. I'm just saying I don't like the trailer. But I've mm-hmm. I've disliked plenty of trailers that led to good movies. I you know I was trying to wasn't there a movie where I was like, oh I really wasn't looking forward to this, but it was actually like the best movie of the year. What was it? I can't yeah. remember. I'd have to go and look back through all the stuff that we talked about. Maybe it was Resurrection. Hmm. I admit that. That's but that like movie the one screams that, you. I, it it does. Yeah. It's that's what's that's what's funny. I don't know. If someone else talk. Maybe I'll go through all the things we've done. No, we're good. Figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have fine. to wait for next time on that one. Yeah, I'll have um, to like go back and try to figure it out. Yeah, I I did not hate this movie. I really hated French Dispatch. Like I was like, fuck yeah. this shit. Um, so I no, this hate fun. French Dispatch, but I definitely was like, I appreciated some of it, but not most of it. I don't know. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it's like terrible or bad, but it was definitely like, oh, yeah, all right. To be fair, I'm not the biggest fan of anthologies. Like, it has to be well done in almost like a fairy tale kind of way for me to like it. Otherwise, I just am like, what am I doing here? Yeah. And like, as a person who has liked some of his shorts, like Hotel Chevalier and stuff, he's a good short form director as he is a long form director. And I'd be down for him to create something that was a bunch of Hotel Chevaliers. But, like, it just didn't feel like that's what this was. It was, I kind of liked the conceit and the different voices. But it it almost reminded me of my feelings about Glass Onion, where I was like, look, I know you can do this in your sleep. You don't have to do it this hard. Like, <laughs> let's try to just tell a normal story, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop showing off for me. You won me over like five movies ago. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Oh, I think I figured it out. I think it was Tar. Because oh. I remember seeing the, the trailers for Tar and I was like, ugh, Tar. Like, everything about this looks so pretentious and awful. And then, and then you, you realize that's it, the point right, of the movie. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it is pretentious and awful. This is great. I love this. Tar is the best movie of a decade or something. I don't know. So I'm hoping that's what happens with Barbie. Um, Has anyone here seen Barbie? Not yet. No, No, I've got a screening next week. I've got a screening next week that I can't go to. It's at the same time as Oppenheimer, which is also a screening I can't go to because that's – I just have too much to do that day. (laughs) I – I, uh, it's on a Tuesday and, uh, that's the day that I take my daughter to the pool with all of her friends and stuff. So can't farm that one out. <clears throat> Fair enough. I've been waitlisted for Oppenheimer. Wow. Oh man. Play the violins. Um, but yeah, I am looking forward to seeing Barbie and seeing, I'm hearing good things about it, but I don't know if that's, I've only spoken to a couple of people who have seen it to be fair. I've, I've heard good things about it as well, but you know, I don't know if this is your experience, Brian and Bill, but the screenings for Barbie and, and Oppenheimer have actually been scheduled for the same night, yes. at least in Boston. And yeah. I know in San Francisco as well. That is, they'll yes. change that. No, I they're don't not. Know they're going they're to, not. I think they are, they're being Warner brothers being a real piece of shit. Yeah. They really, they're really doubling down on it. Um, because they're our, like, our publicists have, have tried and the studios are like, no, they're like, Oh, that's such a X shame. About yeah. Nolan leaving them. I think. Oh, that's we've got it one after like so the Barbie is one night and then the next night's Oppenheimer. But it's really hard 
having them on the same night, especially for freelancers who are going to oh, yeah. make money off writing about those films. Like, that's just making them choose. I don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, that's so someone on Twitter did say, like, you're messing with people's livelihoods. And I was like, mm. all right, man. But like, also sort of, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. No, but it's true because I know. Like, I mean, the, the studios do not owe it to the journalists to screen that stuff early. Well, I mean, like, there, there are so like many the, movies that don't even screen. You that know? is true. But I mean, like, that's a whole other. Yeah, problem, most of the time is, they don't make a lot of money. It is like these are going to be the biggest <clears throat> clicked reviews of the year, probably, aside from like. Uh, you really think people care about Oppenheimer that much? I don't know. Are you I do. Joking me? <laughs> I know that. I know that film Twitter does. Like, obviously, who but... reads movie reviews? It's literally just film Twitter. Do you know the last time my mother? Read I'm not a talking about review? movie reviews in general, though. I'm talking That's what about I was like talking about. movies. Yo, yeah, people are super excited for Oppenheimer. Okay. There's so much excitement over here, especially for Killian Murphy and. I, I know Peaky Blinders is pretty big in the US as well, but it's so huge over here. So I think people are why, really excited. Uh, why are you confused about this, Robin? But also, I asked that. Because and also, I direct about- that. I also direct that at Brian in that, why are you confused that people are excited for Barbie? I'm not so it goes both people ways. People are excited for Barbie. I just think it, I think it looks terrible, but it is not shocking to me that people are excited for Barbie. I am not confused that people are excited for Oppenheimer. I. I'm wondering if people are excited for Oppenheimer, not because it's going to be a bad movie. I'm looking forward to it. It's because is Killian Murphy a draw in the U.S.? Is who's Killian Murphy? Like, why does that matter? It's it's a Nolan movie. You literally. Oh, the stars do matter. Isn't the whole point of this? I don't think Killian about stars matter. Yeah, that's why our podcast is named Stars Matter. <laughs> I don't yeah, think Killian's the draw. Is Nolan here. a draw? Is Nolan a draw for 100%, most movie goers? Yes. Yeah. For film yes. bros, yes. I'm. I agree. I, have you looked at the the take for Dunkirk? Like that's a movie that should not like have done Greyhound numbers, and instead it was like it's one a of war the movie. movies of the year. It's a war movie. Yeah. So was Midway, a movie that literally no one has spoken of since it was released. Okay, I'll listen. I I want the movie to do well. Fuck no. Exactly. Wasn't that Roland Emmerich? Yeah, 2019. Roland Emmerich, the director of Independence Day. You're acting like I want this movie to fail. I really just give less of a shit. No, I don't think you want it to fail. I'm just shocked at the the lack of like. I don't. I don't even know what the lack. I just don't. To me, like I see Nolan as a director who draws people because of his. I don't know, like speculative vision. Like there's something about his innovation in in filmmaking that has that is like on a very grand scale of of sort of tech dystopia. And so when he's making a movie about I don't know, like a scientist, it does that really draw people? Is the question I, I have. think. I think that he. I think that his name will continue to draw people because. They will like, you know, like they, they went and saw Inception, the prestige, like they've the interstellar made money. Like the, he has moved beyond these things before. I think this is going to be the biggest test because it's rated R, which I don't think he's done since insomnia. It is probably the, the least 
star movie star actor that he's placed an entire movie on. But I know I have friends who are Peaky Blinders fanatics yeah, and are yeah. into this because of Killian Murphy. Florence Pugh's in it. She's got her little cult going on. Um, I, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon. Yeah, I for, keep forgetting that Matt Damon's in it. Um, man, the cast for Midway, <laughs> by the way, was stacked. It's got Patrick Wilson, Woody Harrelson, Luke Evans, Mandy Moore, Dennis Quaid, Aaron Eckhart. This is, I can't believe this movie. But are these stars? Yeah, I think so. Well, oh, they're, they're actors. actors I like. Woody they're Harrelson, not stars. I would say. Is, Woody yeah. Harrelson may be the closest. Mandy but... Moore? No? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not right. even close. Wow. She's delightful in person, by the way. Oh, I've never met her. Yeah. I got to yeah, interview her nice. twice. For what? Tangled. Both times? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. That's awesome. I did a lot of press for Tangled. (laughs) Well, we've got to let Olivia go. It's way too late over there. Yeah, we got it. We've we've held her on for a long time, and we appreciate that. What time is it where you're at right now, Olivia? It is 3.05 a.m. Oh, bloody hell. All right, you got to go to sleep. No, at this point, you just got to stay up to the sun rises. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's an all-nighter situation now. Oh, no. No, I'm happy to be here. And like I said, I was at a gig anyway. So, so between like was, the two things yeah. that you've done tonight, which is podcasting with us about Asteroid City and going to see, oh God, I can't remember the name. Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey. I was about to say Gatsby. Um, which was the best, doing this or seeing Lana Del Rey? Well, I didn't actually see Gatsby. He didn't reawaken Gatsby at the... Uh, Gig, unfortunately, <laughs> so because of that, I will say this podcast. Yay! <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, this is great. I am very happy to see her. That um, please do come back anytime. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest, and it's Woo-hoo! been a pleasure to talk about this movie with its perfect, impactful, very <laughs> meaningful framing device. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> but we're doing a part two, aren't we? Because I'm going to go away and see it again, and then I want a part two to discuss the squat. That's yes. so we got. Okay, the, good. Right, <laughs> Robin, Robin, write this down. We need to talk okay. about the squat, right? We need to okay. talk about Cranston at the showers, which okay, is also going to be the title of my one act play, Cranston at the showers. Um, <laughs> and we also need to talk about. Whether or not Jason Schwartzman really said, you're the wife who was supposed to play my actress, or if I just had a minor aneurysm and I need to get an MRI. Did you write all that down? sounds vaguely familiar. Okay. Cool. Um, So we'll all be back next week when we talk about Asteroid City again. Um, No. (laughs) What are we doing next week, Robin? Uh, We are doing Mission Impossible. Anyway, um, so look forward to that. Uh, Mission Possible, Mission colon Impossible M dash Dead Reckoning colon Part One. I think we were just talking about Limp Biscuit, and now now we're referencing Mission Impossible, which they did a theme song for. They did the best Mission Impossible theme song. Wait, it's called Now I Know Why You Want to Hate Me. Um, Am I right about that? Someone, yes, someone check me up. I mean, that's that's a lyric in it, at least. I thought that was the name of the. Does it matter? You're going to say, Oh, I have a question because I have not seen any mission impossible. So 
do Jesus I, Christ. Do I continue? Do I go <laughs> on the podcast having only? Seen yes, absolutely. That's what makes you you. Okay. I'm sorry. The title is actually <laughs> "Take a Look Around." Okay. Okay. Not, not as cool as now. I know why you want to hate me. That is, however, the thing they repeat like six times before they uh, break into the chorus, which I'm pretty sure is just them continuing to repeat. Now I know why you want to hate me. Anyway, uh, so I got to make a note that that's the song I'm going to play at the beginning of next episode. Um, (laughs) Before I do that, uh, I want to remind everyone to give us your money on Patreon, patreon.com slash filmstageshow. Go to movie, M-U-B-I dot com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. Check out all the awesome stuff that's streaming over there. Uh, And then send a nice little care package to their curators. They're very, very tired. Um, what else? That's it. Let's tell the fine people at home where can the f- they can find us between now and the next time. Livianne, uh, would you like to kick us off? Oh, is this for like Twitter or Instagram? Yeah, or? yeah. Your plugs, your stuff, or if you want to give like your home address for care packages, you know, it was whatever you want to do. Okay, I'm we gonna can send you marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> like Paddington Bear. <laughs> yes, yes. There was a there was a point where someone jokingly said they were gonna Paddington style send me a bunch of marmalade. It was you and like our guest, right? We're like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. And um they that you know, I had just told everyone what my distillery was, very easily found on the internet. And I was very worried I was gonna get some marmalade, but we're apparently not that popular. And uh or people are very bad at following through on their pranks. So I have not received any marmalade yet. <laughs> Or they've been intercepted by a bear. <laughs> I thought you were going to say UPS refused delivery. <laughs> Instead, you're, you're saying that Paddington is just hanging out in the mailbox to in case Marmalade shows up. Anyway, Olivia, please <laughs> tell people where to find you. I will give my address, social security number, phone number for delivery <laughs> next time. Excellent. Don't forget your two. birth date. <laughs> Yeah, and my mother's maiden name. Don't worry, I'm going to have it all for you. Um, but for now, my Instagram is at Olivia Ann Cleary. So it's pretty straightforward. And then my Twitter is Olivia A. Cleary. And I share my work on there a lot. So you'll be able to keep up with me and what I'm writing about if you want to. All right. Excellent. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me wearing my Barbenheimer uh, shirt as much as possible. <laughs> Between now and uh, the first showing right, or that first like opening weekend. Two and a half weeks for that to still be relevant. And then people are going to be like, uh-huh. <laughs> so you got to yeah, get it all yeah. now. Uh, I did wear it yesterday and I got two separate compliments on it. So uh, perfect, perfect day for me. That was the first day I, I wore it and I was like success. And Erica was just shaking her head the whole time. Um <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, but I don't tweet much. Uh, that has nothing to do with Twitter. It just has to do with I don't like Twitter. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at Billstagram, uh, tweeting or tweeting, uh, Instagramming. What what the <laughs> fuck do you do? Posting, you gram it up. posting, you gram it up. Uh, you make posting. a with some grams. <laughs> posting about food posting about my dogs posting about probably posting a photo of uh my barbenheimer shirt um and then you can always find me mixing it up on the slack channel awesome robin Barr. Uh, you can find me on twitter at r-o-b-y-n-b-a-h-r although i've also tapered off my twitter use um i guess i'm on threads now whatever oh jesus uh, I'm not using it that much and also absolutely not, never read it. You're not knitting a, a textile or whatever they're calling it. What? What? <laughs> I don't know. 
It's a thread, oh, so boy. you know, like in the textiles. Uh, All right, I'm Homer backing into a bush right now. Um, you can also <laughs> find me on Letterboxd, uh, and uh, you can sometimes find my writing at uh, the Hollywood Reporter. All right, excellent, and you can find me. Uh, at a bunch of places. So first of all, uh, I am also on Instagram where I gram it up. Uh, I, I, ins- I Insta, I don't know. Mostly pictures of me, the distillery, and my daughter, sometimes the dogs. So check all that out. I'm on every social media platform, actually, at Brian J. Rowan. I am on threads. I am not threading as much as one might expect. You're not um, needling? Yeah, or like, like knitting. I don't know. Um, I am on embroidery. At Brian J. Rowan. Embroidery could work. Uh, needlepoint. That's threads, right? Stitching. Oh. Yeah, stitching. Well, yeah, because oh, stitch. there you go. So you you post a thread and then you stitch a thread to that thread and then what have you created? No. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, talking about my distillery. Go to inkwellwhiskey.com to learn more about that. We're about to release a cask strength bourbon. For any people who really need some extra proof in their life. Um, I think that's it. Also, don't forget to go to thefilmstage.com where you can read my 2017 article, uh, Darinovsky's Mother and the Insidious Effects of Explainer Culture, as well as everything else I've written over there. And you can find every episode of this here podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. The rhyming of of widow with kiddo is a feat that no English speaking human being will ever top. Like, I'm sorry, like there's some sort of emergency vehicle going past my house and there's a part of me that's worried that it's like coming to me and I don't know it. Nope, it's still going. All right. <laughs> I think everyone has that irrational fear. I was just like, am I the only person in this neighborhood who doesn't know that my house is on fire? Um, Anyway, uh, what I was going to say is...